We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, coaches. Thanks for joining me for another Modern Soccer Coach interview. This week, we're joined by Jamie Hamilton, a licensed coach, phenomenal writer as well. Definitely check out his work. He wrote an article recently on Roberto De Zerbe, and I wanted to get him on here to talk about it. The link is below, so we'll put a link down to the article if you want to look at it. We talk about De Zerbe's system, what makes it different, and then we go deeper into modern football. Are we crying out for more variety in terms of tactical systems today? Do we need more bravery on the sideline? Is system-based coaching detrimental to individual development? Some brilliant topics, so I hope you enjoy it. As always, appreciate the support. If you're a coach gearing up for the new season, please check out the Modern Soccer Coach Set Piece webinar we are doing with Swansea. Set Piece Coach Andy Parslow. The link is below Tuesday, July 26th. If you miss it, it's going to be available on the website, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Link below to register. Here's Jamie. Enjoy. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us today. Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Delighted and excited to have you on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, Gary. Great to be on. Looking forward to, uh, looking forward to chatting. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, we're going to talk about this article, the, the Zerbe article that you wrote, and, and it grabbed my attention for a number of reasons. The football content of it, the way you wrote it, a um, few truths that will go down uh, towards the end. But let's. the first thing I kind of wanted to start with was the title of it, Dangerous Provocations. Is that is that linked to the style of play how he makes you think of the game talk to me why was the title that well when i'm it's interesting you know coming up with titles for pieces of writing is quite interesting is an interesting thing in itself right um because well the way i think about it is i want to find a title that is uh i suppose immediately not too complicated or too long so i want to try and keep it short um but i also want it to have ideally some kind of like layered meaning, right? So it, it's not only uh, working on one level, hopefully it can work on, on different levels. And as you mentioned there, um, hopefully dangerous provocations um, is uh, certainly referencing the style of play uh, on the pitch that Deserby's teams um, are, are using. And we can get into all that about provoking the opponent to come forward and these kinds of things. But also on the level of of the spectator, right? Which is what I go into uh, in the article, and, and my, you know, myself as a spectator as well. And uh, this this showing of something different, right? It's a provocation to to respond, and people respond to to Zerbi's football, right? It's, it's interesting, you know. A lot of people of uh, Italian people have actually uh, contacted me uh, on the back of this article, and they've said that in Italy. And I don't read Italian, right? So, so it's, it's good to get this kind of perspective. Um, that Deserbi is seen by a lot of the mainstream media as uh, crazy, right? This kind of insane guy. What's he doing? Um, some kind of egomaniac, or he's just like doing it for like aesthetic uh, pleasure or something like that. Um, so it's clear that all the, and the responses are, are varied. But Deserbi's football certainly does 
provoke uh, a, a reaction, right, from from the, from people who are seeing it, and it provoked me, right, when I watched his football. That's, I suppose, the essence of it. When I saw his football, it provoked me to respond in some way because oftentimes I watch football and I'm uh, not really provoked to, to respond. Uh, so yeah, that that's that's some of the thinking behind the title, and yeah, uh, yeah, hopefully it's it's working in some of those ways. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the the aspect of like the personality of the coach you mentioned there about perceptions and. I don't think we go into this enough. Like, where where do people get their philosophy from? Because sometimes in Coach Ed, I think it's grab it, take it, and and mm. don't go any deeper. We know where Pep's philosophy comes from. Uh, we know where you know the the Bielsa school of coaching comes from. Where does where does his philosophy like? What what's his? I don't know a lot about his background at all. Well. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm no expert on Re- Roberto De Zerbi, the person, right? And, and, and one of those um, one of those barriers is that he doesn't uh, really speak in English, right? He doesn't make uh, um, interviews in English, so you know, on a on that uh, that deeper level, um, I've seen some translations of clips, um, but as far as I'm aware, I mean, De Zerbi was a player, right? He played. Uh, he was a talented, like attacking uh, midfield player, left footed player. Um, played with Milan, played with Foggia, um, into coaching, uh, and he had this. Uh, I suppose I, I don't know where his idea comes from, and I, I, it's a good question, right? And, and something you know would be great to find out. But the, the the interesting thing is, and you mentioned Guardiola, Bielsa, all this. And you say, "Oh, we know where they, where these ideas come from." Yeah, we do and we don't, right? Because we can trace lineages back through different, you know, footballing cultures, different ideas. Oh, yeah, it comes from the Dutch school. It comes from this. It comes from that. You know, people have written many, many books and, you know, all about this kind of thing. But at the heart of it, there's a, in some sense, these coaches must have a, a personal feeling towards this, this this football, right? It must be a football that they prefer over the other ones. That's why they feel compelled to to, to try to bring it to life or, and share it with the players, share it with the fans, share it with everyone and, and try and, and try and make it happen in reality, right? They must have some, uh, from some feeling towards it. Um, and I and I, the way I think about it is, is in an aesthetic way, right? The same as that I prefer some foods to others, or I prefer some movies to others, or I prefer some music to others, right? It's not that my preference is correct, right? I'm not saying I'm, I'm, because I like such and such band, then I'm correct and you're wrong. But I just like them, and it, and, and I think it's this idea of like of being able to, to 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 zoom in when you're experiencing something and to notice what you feel when you're experiencing it and say, well, I feel good when I'm hearing that or seeing that. So that means it must mean something positive, right? I like that, and it, or whoever you if you you know when you fall in love with someone or you know it's like. I've, there's something that happens, and if you're able to notice that, then maybe it's a useful thing to explore and then try and, and, and express it. Why does Erby feels that way about this football? I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So I, suppose, I suppose I'm speculating somewhat, right? But, um, but yeah, it's, it, these are the things that I think are very interesting to, to think about. And just, and just finally, you mentioned coach education. And, and yeah, I think that's an issue with coach education because. In coach education, you have to try to standardize things, right? You have to say, here's the way you should coach. Here's the correct things you should do in this situation. But, you know, this, these, this is a, I understand why you have to do that, but this can be tricky because we don't want all coaches to be the same. 
Well, I, I, I certainly don't, because then all footballers are going to become the same, which would be bad. Yeah, like it's... I almost think coach, coach education is just like formal education, where we're, we're paying a fortune mm. for it, but we're getting... Uh, like, uh, what's the difference between something being standardized so it can help everyone and something being standardized so it can monetize something, you know, and, and be easy to, to put out there to the masses? Yeah. It, I mean, this is it's a big question, right? And you're right. We can talk about formal education in this way as well. And it comes down to curriculum and syllabus, right? And, and, and how, what are... What is it that we're trying to get across? So let, let's stick to coach education. And you know, I've been through the, the you know the courses, got the, the these these UEFA badges and all these kinds of things. And I understand, right, the 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 requirement for you know this kind of qualifications and these kind of accreditations, right? Um, but I do wonder sometimes about you know how the curriculums are put together um, because they are put together from a perspective, right? And someone is saying this is how this coach we want coaches to coach and it's quite detailed you know if you're in possession we want the you have to get your players wide right because make the pitch big but then deserve will say no i don't do that i bring the players in i bring them close to dominate with the ball now if you're on a uefa course for example and you said and you start and you're doing a possession themed exercise or something like this and i brought my fullbacks right in and brought the the, the structure very narrow right Okay, maybe I had the wingers out wide, but I had most of the players very close together. I'm pretty sure the instructor would say, hey, my friend, you're, you're doing possession here. You want to make the pitch big. But then I'll say, well, maybe I've got a different idea. And, you know, they'll say you have to keep the ball moving, move the ball to move the opponent, right? It's like Guardiola. People say this all the time. Well, how about I don't do that? How about I keep the ball still to move the opponent? Then, then he's going to come. So, you know, you can try and standardize things. But it's very difficult because then what you're doing is you're actually, in some regard, you're suppressing the creativity, right? Because you are telling the coach. And it's the same with the coach-player dynamic as well. We can get into that. But you're, you're, you're trying to generalize and standardize and say there is a, a formal way of doing things. Um, but I, I must say that I don't, I, it kind of jars with me, uh, the, the, this approach. And I think we should probably be more geared towards creating an environment where people feel comfortable First, getting to know, trying to understand themselves and then understanding what kind of uh, football, what kind of uh, ideas they are genuinely able to uh, feel comfortable expressing. Right. Because they are the ones that the players will respond to, the genuine ones. And that's something that, you know, people like Bielsa would, would, would talk about a lot, this kind of authenticity of the coach. Yeah, I mean, but is, is this daring to be different? Like how the, the courage it takes to play a system like that we're going to look at? The courage it takes to make a to make a training session that's that you see is different than the traditional conventional like the courage it takes to do that means that you have to develop a certain personality trait you can't be a follower of every single and that's where I, that's where i think i don't know what the solution is and i, and I don't want to get off tangent yeah. here but i just feel like yeah if 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 you're if you're telling everyone to do a certain thing then you're you're going to bring people closer to the average than you are to the to the top, and and that's where like I watched the thing with Cantona the other day, and he he talked about like the thing that he fears the most is nothingness, and that's there's so much of it today, isn't there? Where it's just bland sessions, curriculums, all this here, but it doesn't bring out emotion. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like that a lot of the time when I, when I watch football and I'm not trying to have a go at like anyone in particular or anything like that, but just generally speaking. And, and actually, it's not just in football, um, Gary. I feel like this actually. And, you know, I don't want to be like old man waving Vista cloud here, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like a lot of movies, music, uh, TV shows. Right. I find it quite repetitive. And, you know, when I go to the, the cinema, I actually went to see Elvis the other day. That was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but, you know, and when I go to the cinema, uh, a lot of the trailers, they're all like uh, sequels or remakes, right? Or, or there's so many. It's like repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. It's like, where's the new idea for something? Where's the new, uh, where's the new uh, storyline? Where's the new character? Where's the new narrative? And I think that's, we see that in football as well. And we see these kind of recycled tropes. We see these, um, you know, like you say, cut and paste, copied ideas. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be like them. I'm going to be like that person. I'm going to be like that person. And, you know, and that's fine. And to an extent, that's good because you should always take influences, right? But I think that the way I try to approach it or think about it is, yes, take the influences, but then try to arrange, rearrange them, right, in some way that is um, that is authentic, right? I, 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 one metaphor I, I was I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I was talking about um, uh, Legos, right? You know, like um, the Lego brick toys, and it's like. You can get all the boxes of the Lego toys and recreate from the instructions, right? All the things that are, you're shown on the box, or you can just put all the the Lego bricks in a big mixture and just make your own uh, creation from it, right? And it's like this idea of yeah, okay, I'll take the I'll take the cool stuff, but I will try to interpret it. And cooking's maybe another example like that. I'll try, I'll take all the ingredients, I'll take all the ideas, but I'll try to mix them all up in a way that is a expression of me, and then try and, and produce something coherent. I mean. I'm talking here. This is not easy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's very easy. It's you know easy to talk about, but to do it is uh, is another thing. You know, brilliant. Okay, we'll we'll get back to that. I wanna I wanna yeah. look at at the Zerbi system. I've got three clips mm. here. The first one is is something that you've talked about in in your article about outnumbering the opposition in the build up and how you almost offset a press and. If anyone's listening to this, uh, hopefully YouTube, hopefully they won't block this. Content. We'll be able to put this video up. So if you want to watch this on, on YouTube as well, we'll get the we'll get the video up. So it, it looks almost. We talk mm. about unconventional. It looks like he's brought too many players. You said towards the ball. That's well, yeah. Is that part uh, of what you're saying? Yeah, this is the, so you know the build up is an interesting part of 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 Deserby's game um, because I've heard him say. And I think in translated clips that he is, uh, he feels that kicking the ball is always uh, a loop for him. It's uh, it's gambling, right? It's just, okay. Uh, it's a probability thing. He he doesn't want to gamble in this sense, right? He, he will shoot the ball long sometimes, but it, I remember a game, who was it? Was it Inter Milan away? It's been a few games uh, that, that he uses it, but usually it's, he will bring everyone back, and then he'll try it like a zinged, a zinged long one into the striker if he is going to do it. So it's not a punt up the pitch, right? It's a, it's a zing. So it's not necessarily that all passes over a certain distance are disallowed. You can, he, he will sometimes go a bit more direct in in, in certain moments. Um, but yeah, the, the idea of this this build up is is to move forward with it. And this is not necessarily a deserving an idea. Guardiola's talked about this kind of thing. It's too right to control the ball and move for, up the pitch together as a team. Um, you see these kind of principles, and uh, yeah, the idea of bringing the players back is obviously to attract the opponent forward, right? To provoke them into breaking from their shape and moving towards the ball. This is not a new idea of what I'm saying or anything like this, but 
you'll see it. I watch foot. I'm in Scotland, right? I watch football in Scotland. I watch football in UK. I watch, you know, Sky Sports, BT Sport, all these kinds of things. And, you know, you still see when teams are making these buildups, a, a kind of misunderstanding of, uh, of people when, when they're analyzing it and say, oh, why are they doing it? It's too risky. This, uh, this, you know, that and the other. But, you know, the idea is obviously to bring the opponent forward. So, and you saw in that clip there, if you break that initial press, then you have like 70 meters of pitch to go against maybe uh, four or five defenders. And, you know, you know, when the, the space is that big, it's very difficult to defend. And especially if it's your fast attacking guys, specialists in those situations against their back four or, or back five guys, 70 meters of pitch is not easy to defend. Um, so you can make you can make a fast attack. So if you can bring forward those 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 pressing players, maybe five, six, even seven, right? Bring them forward, and if you are able to outplay them and eliminate them, then of, of course you have the space to open. So it's a logical way of of of, of playing, right? In that sense, it, you know, it's not just uh, we're gonna. I, I don't know. People, some people think maybe think it's like some kind of show off stuff or something like that. No, there's a there's a functional reason for it. Um, and yeah, and Deserby's idea is is to overload this first uh, this this first line, right? To bring, including the goalkeeper, sometimes eight players. So then, of course, if the if the opposition wants to, you know, have numerical parity, right? They're going to have to send forward seven guys. And it's like, well, are you willing to do that? If you're not willing to do that, we're just going to move forward with the ball. I, I, if you don't press me, then I will move forward with the ball. And when you come to press me, I will then play to the free man, right? But if you don't press me, and this is with the goalkeeper as well, um, if you don't press the goalkeeper, oftentimes the goalkeeper will just walk forward with the ball very slowly, 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 and then when he comes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to play to the free guy. So this seems to be, and of course the, the patterns can vary somewhat. That was he, he, quite often. Deserbio will start with the the the, the four two three one uh, shape, and you'll have the two sixes there, and you saw something like that in that in that clip. You had the, the, the centre-backs wide of the, of the goalkeeper. The, the full-backs in quite narrow, so they're connected with the, with the centre-backs and with the structure. And then two uh, sitting central uh, midfield players that gives that numerical superiority, right, rather than just having the one. Um, but that, he often does that actually at the start of games when he's making these build-ups. Maybe under more pressure at the start of the game, he'll have the two in there. And, and if they manage to assert more dominance, then one of those sixes will move forward to an eight position. And, and, and quite often you'll find that these these players have characteristics of both six and eight, so they can move quite easily between a four-two-three-one and then a more uh, you know what Guardiola type four-three-three with the two high eights. Um, so yeah, it's some it's, it's something like that. Yeah, but that's that's fascinating. The solutions that you get to build out with two sixes who are really really deep, and that's where I think there's a pep quote about how he prefers one six to build. Mm. To clog it up, and it and I and I found it myself. You almost get stuck with two sixes, but he solves that. Yeah, like, bang, bang, well, bang. Yeah. yeah, they do a lot of um. Quite often, you see the use of the third man, right? Um, in in this situation, so uh, maybe it's the if the centre back is going to play the ball into one of the sixes, who obviously is going to maybe have hard pressure from behind, then the other six is going to drop at that angle, so he can immediately receive uh the one touch layoff and maybe then they can they can do the they can do the the next move so they're looking for those kind of connections um, and you'll see those third man moves a lot in in, in Deserby's build-ups you can see it in the, some of the I've watched some of the uh, there's not many clips of his trainings but you will see like these third man these third man routines practiced a lot you also see it in in Fario, Francesco Farioli he's another coach I've, I've, I've written about who uh, worked with Deserby at Sassuolo he now coaches in in Turkey in the Super League 
fantastic stuff. He's a young Italian coach, and you'll see a lot of these principles again in his team's play that they will make these third man connections to try and get the free man on the ball in these build up situations. And it's yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously it takes collective understanding from the players to do it and good execution. But uh, you know, it is simple football. These are short passes uh, over short distances, and it's easier to make a short pass than a long pass. You know, mm. so people say, oh, the players don't have the technical ability to do it. It's like, well, it's actually easier <laughs> to make a short. Last time I checked, right, it's easier to play an eight-yard pass than a than a sixty-yard pass. So, you know, it, it, to me, it actually favours uh, uh, the players in this sense. Yeah, and this brings us along nicely because I'm I'm convinced it's easier to play against pressure when you know what it's what you're going to unlock. Like you mentioned it there about waiting for it. So, like the second clip and this this. Again, something really, really unconventional. I'll pull it up here. This is the one you talk about this specific action of the centre-back in your article who almost stands and it's just, mm. it looks as if the game stopped. That's that's such a simple thing to be like, provoke a press, but but like to watch that clip, 20-second clip, to see what they do, how the defensive line, they make it go, they make it step. Then it's it recovers. Then they manipulate it again. It steps because they go back and then they go over it again. Like that's incredible thinking to be like most of us again. Traditional thinking is avoid presses at all time, avoid pressure areas. But what he's doing is almost the opposite of that. Right. We saw a couple of things there. So one of the one of the, the before the, the it was Marlon did the this kind of this pause move, right, which we can get into. There was the. A couple of bounces right from a mid, center back midfield player to the other center back. Um, there was um, you saw the three. There was actually three midfield players actually dropping quite deep close to the, the center backs in, in different um, in different timings. And you see this a lot with deserve this 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 move. You see all the time it goes into and you see it not only in deserve. You see it in other moves in other coaches too. You see it goes in and then bounces to, to 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 the free center back who then has time and space to either to, you know to either wait or move forward. You also see actually sometimes the fullback moving inside to play as that six to bounce it to the other to the other center back but you see this switch all the time it's happening all the time so that's 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 present there but then when marlon gets it right he uh right he's he waits he puts his i think he puts his soul did he put a soul on the ball there he think he did and this is um this is actually something again that's very noticeable in deserves especially in the build-up play but not only in the build-up play is that the defenders will often use the sole of the foot also the goalkeeper um, and this is a, a very interesting thing. And I've been fortunate enough, a couple of people have con- contacted me and they've talked about this This as a, I don't think Deserbi is maybe uh, is exactly a futsal guy, but this move is, is very common in futsal, right? To control the ball uh, with the sole of the foot. Um, and there's a number of different, um, of, of different uh, yeah, advantages, right? Controlling the ball with the sole of the foot. Some of them, I... And I don't know if Deserby's doing this kind of thing. This is um, some information that I was given by a futsal guy who I, I don't know about futsal, but this is really cool to me. And he and he talked about how that oftentimes in a, in a futsal team when they're very uh, they've been playing together a long time, they've got a good understanding between each other. They'll actually communicate with the ball, right, with these kind of movements. So a, a soul on, on the ball will will mean something, right? If he rolls it to the right, this will also mean something, right? If he rolls it to the left, it will also mean something, and. It was not a set thing that they would mean. These these kinds of sequences are developed through the, the understandings of the players. Um, but it's, it's a way of communicating, right, with the ball. Um, so that's one very interesting thing. 
Another interesting thing about the sole control, maybe not so much in the centre-back, but certainly if you imagine, um, and you see this as well in Deserbi's teams, with the centre-forward receiving the ball, um, maybe with his back to goal, if he controls it with the sole, he actually is able to move the ball immediately in any direction, right? 360. It could be back to the side, to the left. You know, and it's, it doesn't have to take another touch to adjust himself to make the pass. He can hold the ball, hold the ball, hold off the defender and as and then observe where the players are moving and then make the make the make the role move so it adds variation um to the to the direction of which you can play the next pass which is which is quite cool um also it's annoying for the opponent right so you see in this in this clip if you see like if you're a professional player right and, and you see the center back just standing there with, with his soul on the ball you're like i'm not gonna have this you know it's like this guy's almost he's provoking me right he's he's saying like a what like a like a bullfighter or something like this, right? He's saying, "Come on, are you gonna, I, I'll I'll stand here all day, my friend. You know, are you can impress me or not. And if you're a if you maybe you've been told by your coach, don't don't go. That's what they want. That's what they want. Don't go. But after a while, you're just like, <laughs> I'm gonna go and impress this guy. So, and then when that happens, you see obviously you see then the the move is made, right? The penetrating move is made. In this case. He goes up long over the top. Again, it's not just a punt. It's a long pass because the lines come up as they press, or it could be a shorter connection around him. Um, so this soul control is something that I think is fascinating. Um, whether, and it's potentially something that we're going to see a lot more of in football. I don't know. I would quite like to see it um, because it seems to have uh, numerous advantages um, as opposed to, you know, the various other ways that you could control the ball. So, yeah, I... I, I I love this kind of stuff. This is that's one of the things that first really I, I first really clocked was this, this this the way he and it is like you said, like it's like someone's pressed pause, right? And and people say, oh, move the ball, keep the ball moving, keep the ball moving. No, why? I do the opposite. That this is what's so interesting about this uh, this style of play. Um, and it's uh, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun to watch for sure. It's funny. I, I watched. Uh, oh, this is twenty years ago. Brazil brought like a charity team over and Dunga was playing in the US. This is like he just retired. And I was a central midfielder, so I was obsessed with like Dunga playing and I, yeah. and I spent the whole game just staring at him. And and every time he would do, he would, he would, because the game was played at such a slow pace. One thing he would do in the, as, a, as a traditional six today, you know, he would get it and roll it and then pop and he'd pop, pop. But now when you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe maybe that was a to offset, you know that in in Brazil maybe that means a nine checks or some space opens like right. that there. Yeah, it's really interesting that. Yeah, um, and it's something that I hadn't. This is not my thing. This is something that I've again from conversations with people that I've started to understand. And, and, and I've been watching a lot of futsal the last couple of weeks. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I've never really watched futsal, but what I'm see, what you start to see is that you know, okay, there's four outfield players in the futsal team and. The diamond shape is obviously a good shape to, because it affords the connections. But then the rotations within that diamond shape are super interesting. Um, and you can see in a lot of Deserbi's football, you will see uh, these diamonds forming. I, just, I put a little Twitter analysis out a few weeks ago about how these diamonds form um, in, in various areas of the pitch. And, and you can think about it, you know, like uh, a diamonds being the left center back, the left back, the left eight. And the six and the same on the other side so it's like you've got two diamonds with the six playing in both diamonds and and then there's other diamonds that you know with the striker with the goalkeeper um and these connections that are made in futsal in within this diamond and the connections and rotations 
that are made within this diamond um, setup are super interesting and really cool, a lot very imaginative. Um, and I think football can take a lot of these kinds of ideas because, as we know, you know, time and space is getting reduced by these defensive organizations that we're up against now. So it makes sense to look to something like futsal, which is about solving problems in very small spaces with very you know limited time and, and limited space. Um, it makes seems to make sense to look to um, a footballing discipline like that for solutions in, in a game that is becoming more and more compressed, right, by these very, very well-drilled, organized um, defensive systems that are just reducing space between lines, you know, every year we go we go by. Um, so to try and break these teams down, yeah, maybe we're going to see some more of these kinds of ideas because the, the, the fact that the players are actually close together has advantages, right? Because you can read each other's body language better. And this is, the, again, these futsal ideas is that you can read the eyes of the uh, uh, of your teammates. You can learn these these body movements, these gestures that that are that are being that are being displayed. Not so easy when you're all far away from each other, right? It's 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 harder. So again, this compactness of the possession structure, which is counterintuitive, may actually afford these different kinds of solutions, which is, I think is an interesting way to think about it. Mm. Oh, brilliant. Um, third one that, and again, something unconventional, attitude to risk that fascinates me over the mm. last couple of years. Again, not to go down the road of moaning, uh, but something that I, I think balance today is the most is the most misrepresented, uh, worst word to use from coaching philosophy. Get the balance right and you have to get the balance because it puts people bang into the average and it takes them away from taking a chance or something. This clip here is a quick one, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this one here. This is where I like that you've you've probably seen this one. Um, brings the goalkeeper basically on the goal line, and that kind of that kind of goes alongside what you were saying before. Is that is a risk initially? Like you look at that, and I would horrify people if they if they ta- saw their team do that on a Saturday afternoon. But what that. Five seconds later, the picture changes to looks like a counter attack. It's amazing. Right. Well, yeah, this is super interesting because there was actually a game last year in the Premier League, and I think it was Leicester that made the goal. Um, I can't remember who it was against, but they actually made a they made a cool build up, and they did a. It wasn't like that exactly like that, but they made a cool build up, and they opened the pitch and they scored. And the commentator actually said, "He said, wow, a fantastic counter attacking goal, right?" And it wasn't. It was a build-up. Yeah. Now, you know, okay, people can make mistakes, but it was it was interesting that this guy who's obviously paid professionally to talk about football for his entire life, like, didn't actually realize what had happened. Right? He actually thought it was a counter attack, uh, but it, but it wasn't. I mean, yeah, you're right. Exactly. It looks like a counter attack. Um, but even more, like the, you mentioned it a couple of times, the word risk itself, right, is is what's in question here because Pete, risk is not a a set thing, right? Risk is it's subjective, right? You can decide, you know, what one person sees as risky is not, you know, fact. You know, if, if, if someone's saying, oh, it's too risky to play close to your goal, it's like, well, what about the risk attached to punting the ball down the pitch every single time? Just because that risk is maybe not so visibly tangible in that, and, the, and the time horizon is actually longer between the result of the, of the action. So, you know, if you give the ball away in your six-yard box, it'll be immediately a goal, probably. So that it's like immediately you can link the two events together and say, right, well, that caused that. That's easy. Okay. So, but the, the problem is if you're just punting the ball down the pitch all the time, maybe it's like, maybe it's longer periods of time, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, a minute, right? That the goal happens, you can see. So you, you don't say, 
oh, it's because we kicked the ball. You say, oh, that defender didn't track that runner or something like that, or he missed it. Oh, that guy has to do better there, blah, 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 right? It's like, well, you're just punting the ball down the pitch. So you're losing, you're, you're, you're making this a completely random game. And so the risk attached to doing that, you know, given the you know other circumstances of the game, is, is also, you could say, is higher than if our players are trained and, and good at making short pass buildups, then it's not risky. It's more risky to actually get, and, and Guardiola would say something like, the faster you kick it up the pitch, the faster it comes back, right? That's one of his, uh, his, his mantras, something like that. So if someone says it's risky, I say, well, show me how you're calculating your risk. Show me the math. Right? Because you can't just throw around words like risk and probability without actually backing them up with um, with, with your reasoning. Because and, and this happens all the time. Like you say, oh, it's too risky to do that. It's like, well, depends on what your framework of risk is. So, you know, the Derby has a different, it's working from a different system there. Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. If you're gearing up for the new season, we've, we've got two things for you that might help. Number one, we've just released the new ebook, Modern Soccer Coach 20, full attack and training session. So we've broken it down into build-up play, midfield progression, final third, opportunities and finishing. All principle-based, three exercises for each topic. So 60 exercises in all. That's available now at modernsoccercoach.com shop. And then also, if you're looking at a, a little bit more help on the set-piece side of the game, we have a new webinar with Swansea City set-piece coach Andy Parslow. He's a recent guest on the podcast. I'm sure you checked it out. He was different class, and he's come back to deliver a webinar on Tuesday, July 26th, 4 p.m. U.S. time, 9 p.m. U.K. time. If you can make it, brilliant. Sign up, modernsoccercoach.com shop. If you missed it or if you can't make the live version, it doesn't matter. We will email out a replay of it along with some bonus content to all the coaches who register, little set-piece ideas about how to put these processes in place for the new season. Andy gives a brilliant presentation. And like I said, we've got some extra content as well for coaches who register. ModernSoccerCoach.com slash shop. It's only $10. It's, it's definitely, definitely worth it. ModernSoccerCoach.com slash shop. Thank you so much for the support. Back to Jamie. Uh, something I've noticed, and again, this is recent, and and more of a of, of just watching a lot of football has been when 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 the game is direct in terms of low risk, both teams are playing low risk of uh, smashing ball goalkeeper to centre forward, goalkeeper to centre forward, and both goalkeepers are doing it. it creates the or if even one of them's doing it a lot, it creates the conditions, sets the conditions of the game, which makes it way harder. To control the game, if goalkeepers are doing that. Then all of a sudden, it's a very, very tough game to get the control of that game. You can't just right. say, "Well, we'll we'll play out of this here. We'll play out a little bit higher." You can't choose to do that as a coach. If the game's up for grabs, it's it's just going to be a fifty-fifty match. Right, and and this is you mentioned the word control there. Right, this is about it's about if you want to control the game. I mean, there are different ways to control the game, right? You know, a Red Bull uh, guy might say to me, well, we want to control the game off without the ball. And we can try and close the spaces, control the ball through space and pressings and, and these kinds of things. And that's fine. Absolute, absolute no problem. It's going to work well for a lot of people. But there is another way that certain coaches, certain players, certain people, football people want to control the, uh, the game with the ball, right? They always want to use the ball to control the game. And if that's the case, then do it. Keep the, then, then control the ball. Right. When you launch it, you are relinquishing control of the ball. And, and 
again, I say, like, I don't mind. I'm not saying it. You can do what you want, but this is not a, you're not controlling. And I think a lot of, a lot, and a lot of coaches like to think that they are possession. Yeah, we like to build from the back. We like the game, play the passing, this passing, that. It's like, well, you can watch the game and oftentimes they'll kick it and they go, oh, yeah, but in this moment we had to kick it. It's like, yeah. no. <laughs> like, if you if you say that, then if you say to the players, yeah, yeah guys, we're going to do this, but, you know, you're, it's okay. Sometimes you have to just kick it. Then they're just going to kick it. When the pressure comes, you know, you have to show the solutions. Like when the pressure comes, like, so we want the pressure. So we're going to enjoy when they come and, and, and press us. And then we're going to play our football. It's an invitation for us to play when they come to press. It's not a, a, a you know, a, a provocation to kick the, kick the ball away. And I think there's a lot of um, issue with this, right? And again, I don't say you have to do this or it's the correct way to play or anything like that. But if you want to control the game with the ball, then do it. Or at least try to do it. Or or then you can just say, well, yeah, we like to try to play it when we can, but also we go along. So just, you know, it doesn't matter what your model is, but I think some I think some coaches probably like to think they control the game with the ball more than they actually do, you know. The conversation with uh with John McKenzie, I think it was this was yesterday on Twitter. Uh, you said something really interesting. A lot of coach a lot of people uh, many coaches, coach educators, or, or etc., are stuck to maxims like making the pitch big and move the ball to move the opponent. Deserby often makes his own small, keeps the ball still to move opponents. Where does width factor into his system? I haven't watched enough. I've just watched hmm. the clip. Like, does yeah. width eventually come in, or does he just yeah, disregard yeah. it? Yeah. No, no. And also, when you. Sometimes in the very, very deep build-ups, he's going to use horizontal play. You know, he's going to make the pitch wide in, in those moments because you have to try and build up against that kind of in a very, very narrow space in front of your goal is obviously going to be very, very difficult. So you'll kind of you'll, he'll, he'll go out to the sides more sometimes and make a more horizontal game in, in that first phase if he needs to. Uh, and they'll play in the corners and this kind of thing. Um, but in terms of width, yeah, the central, uh, you know, the central system is pretty, you know, is is in the middle with the, with the structure, with the four three three structure. If you imagine the four three three without the wingers, so the wingers kind of would oftentimes stay wide, but the rest of the guys in in a, in a structural. So they're trying to control the center of the pitch, making these short sequences of passes, trying to eliminate opponents. And then when they break those lines, then maybe they're going to look for those specialist guys on the side who are these fast wingers who are going to make these get fed the ball in space so they can use their speed to really, really drive. And they'll try and go in diagonally, right, and then try and make uh, passes inside, cutback passes, chip passes to the second post for the, to try and score uh, try and score these goals. So, yeah, they'll, they'll use the width, but they'll try and control, they'll try and make the build-up centrally. And then if they break those, those lines and then get the space, then they have that option because, you know, the defenders are usually obviously going to be in the middle. So they can use these specialist guys who are then going to, you know, Make these these fast diagonal runs inside and look for look for the short low passes oftentimes into the box because that creates obviously the high the high the high quality chance. They're not going to launch balls in from the side, uh, you know, to try and score a header that you get one out of a hundred, you know. And and it's like, yeah, they're going to try and make uh, easy scoring chances. Um, seems to be the idea. Seems to be that that, that kind of approach to wit. So the wingers seem to be oft, oftentimes are quite a different characteristics um, um, for the wingers. More fast straight line runners, you know. All right, let's let's go to a couple of quotes and see where we go with this from from your article. Uh, 
I'm begging here. I'm begging for football to seduce me again, like it did way back. That seven-year-old kid who sat on the floor, cross-legged, glued to the TV as Ness and Dorama soundtrack images. I devoured every moment of Italia 90, the colours, the graphics, the stadiums, the tension, the heat, the strange slowness of the play, Higita, Mila, Shifo, Valderrama, Kanija, Stojkovic, Francesca, Baggio. It was love at first sight. I, like every, It came on last night on, on my YouTube uh, recommended watching Highlights, uh, ten minute highlight, Cameroon versus England, Barry Davis, and like of course I watched it. I like the space football's technically it's not clean, but it it provokes the this uh, where you were at any time. I'm always asked like uh, where if if I'm struggling with burnout or if I'm if I'm in a bad spot with football or if it's just like falling out of love with it or whatever it is. I watch nineteen ninety. 1994, and it just brings you back. Um, do you think that's nostalgia, or do you think there was something just there that was special about the game? I, I think it's probably, I think we're first of all, I think we're showing our age here, uh, Gary, right? <laughs> because, uh, you know, this is uh, and you know, but I think there's a point. So, when I'm thinking about this, I think it, yes, it is nostalgic, but and, and it's different for every person, right? Because, but what's I think what's interesting about the certainly was interesting about the 1990 World Cup for me. It was the first time that I'd experienced this kind of uh, this football of the other, right? This was different, right? I'd watch, you know, you 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 know, you have football in your own country, your own local community, your your games, your local team, this kind of thing. And back in those days, you know, wasn't the internet, obviously. So you're you know, you're limited in the football that you can consume. It's almost all UK football, Scottish football. Sometimes you get clips of like, you know, wow, some football from another country and you think, wow, who are these these guys? You'd hear the stories of past World Cups and, you know, the, the pictures and the little video, grainy video clips of the, of these uh, of these players. But then in Italia 90, you're like, wow, look at this. What are these stadiums? You know, look at the weather. It's hot. Why? This is this is crazy. Look at the graphics of the of the of the, the TV presentation, right? It's all it's all different. And look at these players, right? These spectacular players with their haircuts and the, the colorful strips. And and this, this is all it's all different, right? Again, it's this idea of difference. And like I was always just drawn to that in some way that I don't really know why. I just find it so compelling that there is this whole entire world, right? Of that I was not, you know, I hadn't actually had access to. And now you had it in your living room, like every every game, all these incredible different cultures, different you know, different people. Um so I think that I think that, and the thing is, as we've gone forward in time, and you know, again, this gets back to the idea of standardisation. Maybe those differences aren't so pronounced now when 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 kids watch their first World Cups because we're all connected, and I'm not gonna, but you know, we're all connected with the internet. We all know about a lot of you know other things and and and, and you know other cultures, these kinds of things. Um, so maybe that 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 kind of um, uh, that that impact. Of, of that exposure to the otherness isn't as is, is, is big now as it was then. Maybe, I don't know. But and in terms of the football, yeah, okay, the football is the football, right? I, I think it is more something to do with that, that, that the impact of seeing something different, which again, we can link back. That's why I included it in the, in the article, right? Because it's, it's, it's of that theme of being, again, this impact of difference, provoking this reaction, drawing you in, right? Uh, uh, into closer dialogue. And that's why I actually, you know, I get into this, in the latter part of the article about how this idea of of, of actually intentionally uh, 
people can intentionally do this, right? They can they can design movies, uh, music, maybe football, with the actual intention of, of provoking this uh, this 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 uh, dialogue, this relationship. And I th- I find that stuff very interesting because you know that's the World Cup for me was certainly a moment where I can I can I can trace back and think, yeah, that was a moment, like I say, which drew me in. Um, and I think the drawing in is because of the difference, or because it's different, and because it, it jars you out of your 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 current way of thinking, and shows you that there's an alternative possibility. You know. Yeah. Well, the, the number tens that, that you referenced, there's such a variety in the way they went about their business. Like Val Valderamo's like a surgeon. He was slow, precise. Gascoigne was like he was the ball in the china shop. Maradona was the wizard. Shifo. Uh, Stoikovic, they, they were all so different and what what your article then comes kind of around to was how you have another quote about Sky Sports and you, and you wrote it's live and you put the uh, capital letters and five or six I's, it's live, it's the best league in the world because we, we lost control and, and I watched a great four part documentary series in the Premier League um, recently and it's it almost just tells you when football was lost 1995 Money just they said, Oh, we can globalize this thing. So when they globalized it, they took away, but they also then programmed you to think that this stand you talk about standardization there. Standard, this is good, this is great, you're gonna enjoy this, and it removes the ability to think. Pay us the money, pay us the money to watch it. Ah, a fortune. Um, yeah, and right, it is a fortune. Um, more than you know, yeah. We can get that's another that's another uh, another story. But yeah, I think this is a you know this is definitely an issue. And that's again, I, I you know I like to watch the you know I like to watch the Premier League, I guess. But I have to say, like a lot of the time when I watch the Premier League, and not only the Premier League, certainly in Scottish Premier, I don't really watch the Scottish Premier League, and I don't like saying that. You know what I mean? It's, it's not something like I, I'm happy about. Um, I just don't enjoy the games. Because I know I only have so much time. I'm not gonna. Why would I watch stuff I don't like? You know, I'm you know, I'm not gonna do that. So if I have to watch, I'm gonna watch maybe yes, yeah, a swallow game or a Ukrainian league game or, or or I don't I don't care where the game is. If it's a good game, it's a good, it's a good game. You know, um, and I find that actually a lot of the Premier League games to be dull, um, to be dull, boring. There's obviously great stuff. There's obviously you know really great coaches and there's obviously great moments and, and this kind of thing. I'm, there obviously is, but I don't think it lives up to the <laughs> to, to the billing, you know, um, in terms of like a, a an actual uh, football experience. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm always, I mean, even just yesterday I was uh, uh, looking into this, um, the Fluminense team right in Brazil that are playing with this, uh, this coach, his surname is D-I-N-I-Z. Um, and a couple of people have been sending me videos of Fluminense, and it looks some of the play looks again completely different way of playing. And but again, this is maybe something I'm going to get interested in now, and I can feel it happening already. You know, it's like wow, who? But what's going on here? You know, um, and I don't get that so much in in, in Premier League football, um, or or you know, and and yeah, I think it's I think the stuff is overhyped, and I think um, I think it's good. For, I, I would say it's good for coaches to look at other ways of playing and other um, um other interpretations of football, not just get stuck in this like Premier League bubble for sure. Yeah, and and I don't I don't care whether millions like if millions of people pay that money to watch and like I I'll watch it occasionally, but I think it relates back to the coaching aspect. I do have strong feelings that 
when, when we kind of go go around to, to wrap this up, when we're talking about coaches that like the very very few coaches are going to develop Guardiola type teams and and transformational teams, like we're just not that fortunate to work with at the new camp with a big checkbook. But so many coaches and a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast are trying to develop those types of players. Like it's their ambition to help get someone to the next level. But surely if your mind is this to where you watch football and you're not open to the side of like, all right, well, the Cantonas, the Bergkamps, the the Valderamas of the game actually didn't get coached in their lives and produced magic like that. Surely that's then limiting our ability to manage personalities, people, whatever, you know, like uh, to try and take people to the next level. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting um, because, you know, the thing about Guardiola's football is, it's I mean, it's a system, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's hugely system oriented. And you see this all the time with like players that go to Guardiola's teams, it works with some Works, works so well with others. People like Ibrahimovic have no time for it, right? They're, they're, they're quite open in saying that they don't like the guy and, and they think his football is not for them. Um, and you can see, obviously, and then maybe someone like Grealish is a good, a good example of a player who, you know, is more of a free-spirited guy, likes to dribble, likes to take on players, this kind of thing. And you've seen what happens when you go to Guardiola's system is that essentially you're not allowed to do a lot of these things. Um, and you have to learn to do other actions that are deemed uh, correct for the system. And again, that's fine. That's that's Guardiola's system, but it's a system, right? And that he demands that his players, and he's not alone in this for sure. Um, and I think it's on the rise. It's quite obviously on the rise in, in in top level football that you get these the success of these coaches that are putting the system first and saying, "You guys need to fit into this system." So you're allowed to do these actions, and you're not allowed to do these actions. Okay, get it? If you don't like it, go. Right. This is how the system works. And the system is bigger than the new. Right. And this is quite extreme. And so then if you're going to get coaches that are saying, oh, yeah, I want to make a Guardiola player, then you're going to be have to be very extreme and saying you can't run there. You can't dribble there. You have to do this here. You have to do this here. And, you know, is that a good way to develop footballers for, like you say, a game that is not just Guardiola football? Right. There's many different ways to play football, many different um, interpretations of it. So. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's it can be. I I think it's necessarily a good thing that these these systems coaches are now at such a, a high level, and it's interesting to see different interpretations. How can we put these together? That yeah, okay, you always need some kind of system. Okay, like a setup. You're going to be here. You're on the left. You're on the right. It's not just you can't just run everywhere, right? So you need some kind of system. But how can we make system actually afford spontaneity, creativity? Um, and this is, again, going back to Fluminense, this is something that I see in, in their play already only by watching quick clips, is that, sure, there's a structure of formation, but the players are moving very uh, fluidly, right, and creating different kinds of patterns all over the pitch. Much more fluid than, say, a Guardiola team, where you see, okay, you see rotations, but they're always rotations within this, these set structures. Um, and it's interesting, to, I think, to try to think about if this has been the age of this Guardiola-type-led systems play, what's the next? What's the that? Then what's the what's the the next stage of that development? And surely it seems to me that yeah, we're going to have to use these systems, but also try and understand how we can afford these personal, creative, human interactions within these systems. And, and yeah, so I think trying to recreate something that isn't yours, I think, is always a a dangerous thing. And I'm not and look, I'm not saying I've been. <laughs> 
did some of these kinds of things uh, in the past and, and maybe will be again, it's, it's difficult because you get trapped inside these 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 frameworks. But you know, it's the, the problem comes when you think these frameworks are total and the final, uh, uh, you know, the ending, right? And that's the way you do it uh, because it's never like that. It's always going to develop. It's always going to develop more. Um, and yeah, I think in terms of developing players, it's dangerous to try and take a, a systems approach to that when it, yeah, it's a, it's a human game, right? And I think that the 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 way forward in development is always going to be through discovering new ways of getting these human interactions. Mm. Or the development of coaches, like uh, that's a great point. Uh, another thing uh, that that I see over here is that, like, I I completely agree that the structure that's in there's no room for do your own thing in Pep system. There's very little room in club systems. Most systems today, most top coaches are very very system oriented, and I, I actually don't mind that. Like, if Conte's I was, another one. Conte, oh, absolutely. And and if I was if I was coaching in the Premier League tomorrow. I would actually do the same. I would my personality would be very very system based. But where I think there's a, a misalignment is that coaches that that are taken and consuming the game today actually see the relationship side as like oh there's there's club hugging players, there's pep hugging players. They must be player centered. So they actually think that that all right, I want to be like pep because the players love pep. Now the players love pep because they have to because they have to play on a Saturday. There's almost a yeah, misalignment, misunderstanding about how these coaches work on a daily basis as well. I agree. I think there's a, yeah, there's a, I think people might probably be shocked if they saw some of the, um, what, 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 you know, what it takes to get to, to drill a team like that mm. in terms of, in terms of level of restrictiveness of the actions that the players are permitted to, to do. And when they go through the analysis, how detailed the analysis will be, you know, it will be things like you you have to receive on that on your left foot there. You have you know, it's very small details. You have to receive it in this way. You have to make that pass there in this moment. You have to pass there. No, you should never take them. You're two meters too high there. You have to always be or you have to always be there in, to make that angle for that pass. I mean, it's like forensic detail, right, for, the, for these guys. And it's, it is, and it's clearly restrictive. But and maybe maybe some players, professional players. Thrive in those in, in those environments, and and I'm not saying that it shouldn't be it's bad thing like that. It's just a way of doing it, and and that's and it's look. I'm not gonna. I'm just not gonna start you know going against Pep Guardiola or something like that. I've loved his for many years. I just love watching his team play. Absolutely, it's not it's not that. It's it's just that there. It's a like you say. It's a danger of becoming you know. And it's not just Guardiola, Conte, Klopp. It's a danger of the systems approach, the system above all else. Um, approach can start to trickle down from this top level to yeah maybe lower levels development coaches youth football this kind of thing and if we're going to go in that direction then we're going to be really creativity and, and development of players which I don't think is necessarily a good thing there has to be and even at the top level there has to be a way to combat this with a system that actually allows for spontaneity but it seems to me that the way we break these systems would be to use the power of humans right the more the more humans uh, uh the approach of and this is why i was talking about things like uh you know reading each other's eyes talking with the ball these kinds of things these kinds of the ideas that i don't think a system necessarily account for because they are they are on such a, a close-knit human relationship level and um, and if these kinds of things can be uh can be uh, seen more in in in, in high level football 
well, then maybe the, it's going to trigger something of a change away from this very top-down systems approach. But, you know, like I say, and, and I agree with you, maybe if I was in that position, I would be pretty <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? Because especially at the start, because you have to you have to get things working, right? I think Ten Hag's an interesting because Ten Hag is clearly a guy who knows how he wants to play. He has a system. But it seemed like with Ajax, he had a system that was fluid. It seems like he's quite adaptable. Um, seems like he encouraged uh, kind of the kind of interactions I'm talking about. Maybe that was just the players. We don't know. But it's it's already interesting. I think that's going to be super interesting this season to see the difference in transformation of Manchester United under Ten Hag and, and, and what he does then. Because he's a Pep-type guy who's very, very strict systems, or will his system be there and allow some of these more fluid interactions? It's going to be super interesting to find out. Brilliant. Brilliant. Jamie, we're, we're out of time. We've gone uh, way over uh, as anticipated. I knew this would, would, uh, I would, I would get carried away on the clips. Uh, this has been amazing. What, what's up next? Who's the next article? Uh, interesting. There's a few different ideas um, cooking away at the moment. There is, I'm, I'm working on something um, about what I've been talking about there, about this, this, uh, this what you might call rise of systems play. Um, this rise to dominance of systems play and, and, and what that actually means and what it entails and whether there's um, what the next um, step away from that might be. Um, like I said, I'm also interested in in, in, uh, in Denise and Fluminense and what they're doing. And um, there's a couple of other uh, aspects that I'm thinking about. And yeah, I, I've uh, a few ideas to go, but it's also, yeah, I have to have the time and to, 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 get, to get them down and hopefully I'm going to have that I'm going to go on holiday next week, so that's going to be nice. Have a little break, and then back. I think, um, yeah, I'll be trying to get some of these some of these articles out. Um, whether I stay on Medium or use a different um, platform, that's also something I'm thinking about how to actually present the work um, because uh, it's something I enjoy doing, um, and I want to, um, yeah, I want to do it as much as possible um, and develop it as much as possible. Um, because uh, hopefully there's some benefit in that. So it's, there's always ideas cooking away. It's just finding the headspace sometimes to actually get them, get them coherent and get them. And also, yeah, self think is always my issue. Um, I feel like maybe improving at that, but that's something that I'm more in terms of my own personal development. Um, yeah, knowing when to get rid of you know the fat. That's, that's the key, I think. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I I love it. Um, if I can help in any way and and getting stuff out or sending stuff to the masses, uh, let me know. But I love your work and I'll hopefully get you on again. We'll get another topic and we'll have another ramble. Now, I've loved this. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. No, uh, thank you, Gary. Any And any time, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on. It's um, I, I love what, you, uh, what you're doing, the platform you're, you're giving and talking about development. And, and it's uh, I think a lot of coaches are finding it super useful. Um, and it's fantastic to have uh, you know, you know platforms like yours um, that are uh, facilitating this. So yeah, real pleasure, and uh, love to talk again uh, anytime. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.